there is no silver bullet, right, Walter? We we do not ever say that, hey, there there isn't a financial vehicle out there, period, that doesn't have its flaws. This is the Retire Happy Podcast with John Amarino, teaching you each episode about holistic retirement plans. It's another edition of the Retire Happy Podcast. Walter Storholt here with John Amarino, fiduciary financial advisor at Securus Financial, uh, serving you all throughout the San Diego area. And I am excited about today's show because we're going to be talking about life insurance. And so I'm really pumped about this, John. We have to be extra over the top if we talk about life insurance so we don't lose people, right? (laughs) Oh, yeah. You know how I love products. So, yeah, this will be (laughs) – you know what, though, honestly, I think some people who – uh, weren't afraid. I, I we can't probably put life insurance in the title, but uh, whoever did, you know, who is listening to the life insurance podcast, I think they're actually gonna be presently pleasantly surprised about what life insurance can actually add. Yeah, uh, the crux of the conversation today is not just going to be what is life insurance, but do retirees really need life insurance? Because there's some understanding out there that maybe as you get older, you don't need life insurance. And so we're going to kind of challenge that today and see if that's indeed the case. Is that what John typically does see? Uh, Or are there still some uses for it, even for retirees? We're going to do that. We've got a fun um, quote of the month from Clarence Darrow that we're going to feature on the show. And a mailbag question from Jimmy. Uh, who's talking about emergency fund, trying to figure out how much he should have in his and whether you can dip into it occasionally, some various questions like that. So that should be fun to get to on the show as well. You know, ironically, you could kind of look at it as life insurance being a young man's game, John. The perception is that you don't need it, or at least the need decreases quite a bit uh, when you become older. But is that really the case? So I want to explore some of the ins and outs of life insurance and its various uses. First of all, why is life insurance a dirty word to a lot of people? You know, whenever you mention life insurance, you always get that image of of Ned in Groundhog Day and everybody wanting to run the other direction, right? <laughs> I, I think, I, I mean, insurance in general, just, you know, people are like, oh, car insurance, health insurance, you know, now life insurance. And the phrase life insurance, I mean, historically speaking, Walter, it's not a happy product for people to buy. And listen, I, I mean, I've got a lot of life insurance on myself, but you know, historically, in the traditional mindset is so for this to really become a feasible vehicle, I've got to be dead, and you know, then my family gets the money. So I think uh, you know, in general, no one likes to think about bad things happening to them, especially dying. But what a lot of people aren't aware of are really the living benefits of permanent life insurance. And it's honestly one of the strongest financial vehicles that has living benefits that the tax code allows. So um, I just think it's a doom and gloom type of thing. Like Traditionally, someone's got to die for the life insurance to kick on. But I will say this, even, even in those situations, when that doom and gloom situation happens and that life insurance kicks on, that's one less thing for the surviving spouse or beneficiaries to have to worry about, especially the surviving spouse. Well, that's a good point. I guess then the next evolution from just sort of the getting rid of the stigma of life insurance is how do you determine if somebody needs life insurance at all? Where do, where do you begin? Yeah, well, 
and again, this is the mantra and always has been the mantra for the show. Life insurance, like a stock, like a bond, like an annuity, it's a tool. Plain and simple, it's a tool. And not everybody needs a hammer when they can just screw in the screw, right? And what do we use tools for? In, in the financial industry, in our planning, we use them as parts of our strategy that best suits the client's goals and objectives. And we want to use the tools that are going to give them the highest probability of success to achieve their goals. So again, with anything, we look at what's your goals? What's the strategy to accomplish those goals? And what tools do we need to implement within that strategy? You know, and, and we first need to determine if the client needs life insurance as a living benefit or a death benefit. And we'll get to the living benefit in a little bit. But, you know, if you don't have a need for life insurance, then you don't get it. And the other thing, too, is that, that a lot of people have to understand, and especially in retirement, why life insurance isn't always utilized is because you can pay with life insurance with your wealth, but you have to qualify with your health. And so, you know, just within the last couple months, I've had new uh, prospects coming in the office and, and we start having discussions where life insurance could be a vehicle to be used, but they wouldn't qualify for life insurance. So, you know, that's, that's another area where, you know, people could use it, but they can't get it. Okay, I see. Um, and so we'd let the need then drive the rest of these decisions. So if it is needed, then we have to figure out how much is the right amount, right? Because it's, it's kind of a multi-layered decision. You don't just flip the switch, but you've got to make some other decisions along the way like, okay, well, now how much? Yeah. And, you know, the first question is, you know, a lot of people and even in the, you know, the question, right? A lot of people look at life insurance as a needs based vehicle. Yeah, it, it could be needed, but I really look at life insurance as a wants based vehicle. What does the client want with this vehicle? So let's just and in this case, we're we're really focusing on death benefit, right? Because how do you determine the right amount of of death benefit? You have to be able to look at your expenses and you have to be able to look and say, listen, what kind of lifestyle do I want my wife and or my family to live when I'm not here? And you know, speaking on a personal basis, um, I've got a lot of life insurance. And, you know, when I was developing my own plan for this, I have, you know, now a three-year-old and an eight-year-old and and I don't want them to have a different life. I don't want them to struggle because my income's not coming in. So, you know, you, you do have to look at the income, but you, you know, I, I really look at more or less like the expenses, what could be more, what could be less. I want them to be able to keep the house. I want them to be able to, you know, continue to have the good memories. And that's how we, we developed our life insurance and, and we, you know, we laddered it, you know, and, and we used different strategies to get to that amount in the most efficient manner possible. 
Uh, it's interesting to hear your perspective on that, John, and I know that's one of the reasons why everybody's going to be a little bit different, because some will want to go higher above and beyond. Others will focus more on, let's just get the basic needs, and there, there's not necessarily a right or wrong answer. It's what you want to cover for, and that's why that's just an important conversation to have. Now, you mentioned, you kind of previewed this a little bit, some strategic uses of life insurance. So these are the things that may not be as obvious as that traditional transaction of I pay this per month, and then if I die, you know, this goes to my family. Some of those other areas where you can use life insurance in creative ways. Yeah, well, and, you know, there are different types of life insurance, you know, term, whole, or, or, or universal, and index universal or guaranteed universal. And, you know, even within term. So, I mean, I, I have both permanent, which would be the whole or the universal and index universal. That That's permanent. That's going to be around you know, given the premium payments and whatnot until you die. Um, term is, hey, it's, it's a set amount. You know, you see the commercials for as little as six bucks a day, right? Or five bucks a day, you can have a million dollars of insurance. Well, typically that's 10-year term, or you might have the term policies through your work plan. So, you know, you, you sit there, and, and in my case, again, speaking, I'll, I'll speak on a personal level, we use both some laddered 20 and 30 year terms um, so we could have that maximum amount of life insurance in that first 20 year period because that's when the kids will be going through high school or whatnot. And and then we had a little bit more of a 30 year term just in case we're right into retirement. If something happened, then we have some tax free you know, money to, to leave to for my wife. And or, you know, even to, if things financially were fine for the wife, then, you know, she could help the kids out, you know, whether it be buying a home or, or, or helping out grandkids or, or stuff like that. And then we also have the permanent stuff, which, you know, I, we, we both have index universal life policies on ourselves. And, and of course, that will also have a, a significant amount of life insurance even past the 30 years, right? Because as I mentioned, as long as the premiums and everything are in force, that will that will have, you know, should have a death benefit until you die. Now, when it comes to permanent, what's most not obvious or what's not obvious to a lot of people is Internal Revenue Code Section 7702. And I'm going to give a lot of credit to my buddy, uh, Tom O'Connell, because he has been a guru behind this and has taught me so much about this as as another alternative great um, financial vehicle. It is probably the most cost-effective financial vehicle, yet it's amazingly underutilized. And while a lot of people may not have heard of the great Tom O'Connell, um, a lot of people may have heard of Ed Slot. And, you know, he's got a couple of retirement books out where he is talking about utilizing insurance. In his own words, he says that it's the single best, most cost-effective, yet amazingly underutilized strategy for protecting retirement account balances from being decimated by the highest levels of combined taxation. And market risk for for some right you still have market risk if you get variable uh, life insurance, but a lot of people do not know the powers of Section seventy seven hundred two and the tax free 
benefits that life insurance can have. And life insurance can be a very, very powerful vehicle. You know, a uh, whole, and, and we'll kind of, we'll talk about this, the difference between them just, you know, briefly. But again, Index Universal Life is both what my wife and I have. Um, I have a couple of clients with these policies. Um, they have no market risk. They, they, we're actually developing the policy to be overfunded. They're paying more than their death benefit premiums, their cost of insurance actually is. And in some cases, we're paying a substantial a lot more in. And what they realize is the overfunding of this policy goes into a side accumulation account. And the side accumulation account is under a contract. So you track an index. You're not directly invested in the index, but it's a, a contract with the insurance company. And one of the contracts is your principal is protected from market risk. And you can take part and participate in market gains, which for a lot of these indexes have much higher caps than, you know, this concept is pretty familiar to people who might have a fixed index annuity or, or a vehicle like that. The caps and the participation rates are much better or uh, higher when it comes to life insurance. So you you have the ability to get a really good return, you know, compared to other risk-free vehicles. So you eliminated market risk, but then the tax-free potential is number one, everybody knows it's a tax-free death benefit. So that's great. But when we look at what it can do for retirement planning, if you took your money out in a certain way, and we're not going to get in all the minutia, but if you were able to take your money through money out through um, policy loans that you're never going to repay. Those loans are tax free. It's tax free income, and guess what? They're not going to they're not going to be subject to required minimum distributions. They're current under current tax law, not going to be subject to the provisional income calculations that tax your Social Security. They're not going to count as income towards your IRMA, which taxes your Medicare and for a lot of younger higher earners who can't do Roth IRA contributions, there's no contribution limits this. You can put as much money as you want in it. And then even more so, there's a potential to have some long-term care coverage in it. A lot of people don't like traditional long-term care insurance. And, and I'm not a fan of the ever-increasing premium riders. Um, associated with those traditional long-term care. They also don't like the fact that if you never use it, you lose it. Well, the riders that a lot of uh, now life insurance companies are rolling out have long-term care riders that you don't even have to show receipts. You just have to show that you qualify as a long-term care event, and they will pay you X amount of dollars a month that you know is obviously listed out in the contract. So you you have some long-term care coverage in there. And then you, when you look at estate planning and even more advanced stuff, right? If you have a huge estate, you might use life insurance through an irrevocable life insurance trust to help pay down, you know, estate taxes and whatnot. So there are a ton, a ton of benefits and and, you know, there's a lot of people out there that, oh, you know, buy term, invest the rest. 
Um, I'll tell you right now, uh, having it for my wife and I and the clients who have had it, they've absolutely loved the vehicle for what it's done. Now, right, we talked about the strategic uses that people aren't obvious to. There is no silver bullet, right, Walter? We we do not ever say that, hey, there there isn't a financial vehicle out there, period, that doesn't have its flaws. And I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention these because I don't want someone going and, you know, to an unqualified agent who's not versed in how to properly design these, first of all, and just making a bad decision because, you know, this is a long-term vehicle. So a couple things you need to be aware of, right? And state, the departments of insurances throughout the nation and, and our lawmakers have actually come down on this in past years and have written laws to really limit the ability for an insurance agent to illustrate godly rates of return like 9%. Even though there have been 30-year historicals that have shown that life insurance vehicles have returned 9%, you always want to go conservative, 5 to 6% range. And, and really, when you're comparing this, you're not trying to compare it to the stock market. You're trying to compare this to other risk-free vehicles out there, which are essentially like CDs or or annuities. And neither of those, unless you get a Roth annuity, um, don't, you know, CDs don't have the preferential tax treatment. So really be conservative five to 6%. If you have someone that's really quoting you seven and a half, eight percent I will be very honest with you, Walter, that extra two, two and a half percent will make your policy look unbelievable. But what happens if you don't get that 7%? So go some something that a very conservative rate of of five percent or so. Um, make it hard because right, what happens if it does return six percent and you are illustrating five percent? Well, you're going to have more money, you know. And then it needs to be designed in an efficient manner. So, right, if you're going to design this for living benefits, then maximize the living benefits, the death benefit, which has to be there by law and by tax law. You want to actually minimize that. So we want to strip this down to where the death benefit is, is as minimal as possible that's going to be allowed under the tax code for the amount of money you're going to put in. So if you're going to put in you know, $15,000 a year into this policy, we want, we want to design it with saying, hey, what's the least amount of death benefit? Because we want as much accumulation value as possible because this is a living benefit. and yeah, when doing that, being very transparent as the agent, your target premium is really based on the death benefit and the cost of insurance going in. So you will you will be reducing the commissions paid to you. But again, if you're looking out for the client's best interest, that shouldn't be an issue for you. And you know you have to understand that you may not be able to qualify if you have health issues, and if you if you're a big tobacco person or whatnot, or you're overweight, all that stuff's going to kind of come back to bite you. And um, you know, you might get a, a lower rating, which will increase your cost of insurance. So you might want to start eating healthier or whatnot, trying to trim some weight down, you know, in preparation, if you're going to go forward with this, you know, and, and that that's another benefit, right? What if you just put 
you know, you're putting a thousand dollars away and you're making a monthly payment to your life insurance and you put a thousand dollars away in and you had three hundred fifty thousand dollars of of permanent life insurance and God forbid you get in a car accident and die. Well, you just turned your thousand dollar premium that you paid, you know, into a three hundred fifty thousand dollar death uh, tax free death benefit. So insurance companies know what they're talking, you know, know what they're doing. That's the worst thing that can happen to them. They want you to be a long customer. So, and then last but not least, you need to understand that, especially uh, for the first 10 to 13 years, depending on the life insurance company, the costs involved in the life insurance policy are expensive. It's an upfront premium, upfront fee type of vehicle. So this is not a short-term vehicle. Um, why I really love it for for a lot of clients, kids, and myself and friends, because after ten or thirteen years, this becomes a very cost efficient vehicle. Um, especially if you're only making ten years worth of premium payments and whatnot, you have all these costs that shed off, and all of a sudden, you know, you might have gone from two thousand dollars a year in cost of insurance to four hundred dollars a year in 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 the premium cost. And when you're talking about, you know, at this point in time, you might have $100,000 of accumulation value and, you know, you're paying, you know, $400 a year. That's that's a, a really cheap rate to be paying. So you just have to understand the pros and cons. And, you know, an, another benefit that you have is, you know, you have access to the money as soon as you have what's called your cash surrender value. So there's three values, death benefit, accumulation value, and cash surrender value. And the accumulation value is what's growing for you throughout the contract. Your cash surrender is the the value you've had access to. So I've had clients that have taken out $50,000 loan that they knew what the rate was. They didn't have to qualify for a loan. They just, hey, I need $50,000. They had it in their cash uh, surrender value. Boom. The insurance company got the check to them or direct deposit to them. And in this case, I had a client buy some real estate opportunity that um, he he paid back the loan. Um, I think he said he paid it back in about six or seven months. So it didn't affect the long-term retirement plan on that loan. And he was able to use that money to build up another investment that's doing well, really well for him. And then I had another client who did the same thing, um, repaid the loan in about four months because he basically took the loan out, uh, fixed up a house that he was selling. And then as soon as the house sold, and it sold here in California at the real estate market, sold within days, um, he put the money right back. As soon as um, everything closed, he put the money right back um, in the vehicle. So you know they, they had access when they need it to. It is uh, just important to remember that these are products and they need to fit into your overall strategy. And uh, what's right for one person may not be right for the next. And that's all part of the evaluation that John does with folks to help them put together a great financial and retirement plan. Life insurance just becomes one part of that larger conversation. But you can see the level of detail and care that goes into deciding and choosing even just this one little element of your plan. Uh, But that's the kind of dedication that should go into any retirement plan, that's for sure. 
If you have any questions for John and you want to go over some of these details about your own specific plan, you can do that by setting up a time to meet. Uh, get in contact through GoSecurus.com. That's GoSecurus.com. Or call 858-935-6210. That's 858-935-6210. Good discussion on life insurance, John. I picked out a nice quote of the month for you that I think you will appreciate of all people. Clarence Darrow said, Working people have a lot of bad habits, but the worst of these is work. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I know you'd have an appreciation uh, for that one, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, I guess it could go bad habits, you know, work can be good and bad, but I do agree with where he's going with this. I, I think it's more overcommitting yourself to work. And I definitely learned this with my time on the force, uh, the constant call outs, the long hours. I'm, I'm fortunate at my point in life now to be able to say my kids never had to experience this. I regret missing a lot of my niece and nephew's birthdays and family outings Christmases, Thanksgivings, Easter celebrations, because I had to work. So when I put that behind me, both my wife and I said that, you know, family's always going to be there. And the most important things are creating memories. Those last a lifetime. And when Jake was born, my wife and I decided we're going to take one extra day off to have that just us time with Jake. And we we took Mondays off and 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 it worked out great, um, you know. And then Jake you know, turned five and and he started to go to school. And just as as that time started to happen, Haley was born, and kind of the circumstances a little bit changed where my wife and I couldn't necessarily take the same day off. Um, so I take wednesdays off she takes fridays off now but we both said we're not going to lose out on that fourth day and it's it's kind of cool because on wednesdays now in the morning i get some one-on-one time with with Haley, and and that's pretty cool because a lot of the times i'm the jv team my wife you know my wife the the kids always are attached to my wife so it's really cool just to have some one-on-one time where you know jake's not around it's just Haley and i and then I get Jake from school in, in our tradition, and, the, and Haley knows it, that as soon as she realizes that daddy's not going to the office and that it's daddy, Haley, Jakey day, that we're going to get a double-double and a chocolate, vanilla, strawberry milkshake from In-N-Out, right? It's, and that's our thing. I get Jake from school, and we go right to In-N-Out. And, and you know, that's just a simple thing in life, but, you know, that's those are the memories that we're creating with our kids. And you know, I recently read a great quote that said, when you retire or you leave your job, you will be replaced and the company moves on, right? The machine moves on, but what never moves on and is always there is your family. So I think that hammers home the point on priorities. And, you know, I, when I kind of look at, when I try to evaluate how I'm doing as a dad, I want Jake and Haley to have the memories of of fishing off the dock in Florida or going on a cruise or, um, you know, our family river trips that, that we took last month to, to Parker, Arizona and, and the RV and all the camping trips that, you know, we do and did. And, you know, because they're going to they're going to have that. 
And, you know, God forbid something happens to, to Bree and I at an earlier age, that's memories that the, the surviving parent can always share and the kids will always have. And, and hopefully Bree and I live long, healthy lives. Both our kids live long, healthy lives, and we're able to see their kids. And, you know, like I do with Jake, and I tell him about experiences I had with my dad. And, you know, he can pass that on to his kids. Well, it's beautifully said. And I think uh, something that we can take away, work can be a good thing, can be a bad thing if we let it become that. But certainly if that's your worst thing, it's probably not the worst thing in the world. So uh, it's not the worst thing in the world to have it be your worst thing. How about that? Something something like that. You You just have good balance. Good balance. That's right. Speaking of good balance, let's balance out today's show by answering a listener question to end things. It's time to open up the mailbag. All right, Jimmy in San Diego says, I've heard you talk about having an emergency fund, but I'm having trouble determining how much I should have in mind and where I should invest it. I'm also not exactly sure how to define an emergency so that I would know when I can dip into it. (laughs) What's your advice? Oh, uh, great question, Jimmy. So I like to actually call it a comfort fund or cash reserves. Um, And, you know, that's we call it the cash reserves shield in, in our part of planning. But whatever you call it depends on a few things. Number one, it is important to have an emergency fund. So what's an emergency fund? Well, you know, you have a slab leak or you, you got to have some type of emergency or, or, you know, God forbid something happened with a medical emergency and you need to pay, you know, your cost of coverage. You have that fund there. It's in the bank. It's, it's accessible and has no market risk. So... Um, that would be, you know, emergencies. And really how much you have in that emergency fund depends on what your magic number is. Uh, I would say ge- very generally speaking on the people that I talk to, it's anywhere from fifty to $100,000. That's that's their comfort fund. Um, again, this money, it's not invested. It's in the bank. You're not getting a rate of return. You're sacrificing rates of return for peace of mind, right? And it's just a small part of your shield. Other things to consider uh, are any large purchases that you're going to make in the next 12 months. This would be in addition to your comfort fund. So let's say, you know, you always got the $50,000 home remodel, right? We got to get a new kitchen counter, new tile, or, you know, whatever, new windows. Uh, And you had $50,000 as your comfort fund. You would add another $50,000 into this account for those expenses that you know you're going to occur in the next 12 months. So you'll have $100,000, boom, the expenses come, you take out your $50,000, you have your $50,000 remaining there for your comfort or emergency. And then, you know, again, depending on how your situation is, if you are one of the people that you don't really have a predictable income stream, you're not doing any principal protection in your portfolio, and you're just drawing income from your investment assets, you might be, you know, following the 4% rule or, or whatever you believe in and you have too much risk in those investments that you're pulling income from, then I would strongly recommend having up to 18 months of cash reserves to pay bills. So you need to look at, hey, what, what's my monthly spend you know, expenses? And you need to have 18 months. Because in the event we have a market crash like we did from 2007 to 2009, um, and generally, you know, the, the majority of markets, you know, it's about 18 months has been the safe number. Um, you want to be able to have those cash reserves because you want to pull from that money 
instead of you're pulling from investments in down markets, right? Because when you liquidate those investments to pay the bills in down markets, you're locking in those losses and you're compounding those losses, right? That's the old sequence of returns that we've talked about uh, several times. So, you know, that's how you should consider what we call that cash reserve bucket. It's a great point and a really good question, Jimmy. Thank you for sending that one in to us. If you have a question for John, by the way, you can always reach out at your convenience. GoSecurist.com is the website. Email John, john at GoSecurist.com, or call 858-935-6210. That's 858-935-6210. Well, John, that'll do it for this episode, and also do it for the podcast as a whole for a little while. We're going to take a little break here on the Retire Happy Podcast. Let John go tan in the sun, enjoy uh, you know, a little time off here and there. No, uh, you're, you're hitting the books pretty hard these next couple of months, so we figured we'd give you a break, take a little podcast break through the summer, and then kick things back off when everybody's busy again in the fall, John. Yeah, I, I mean, um, you know, we got, I got that RMA designation, but I've also, at the same time, I'm in Yale's School of Management's uh, wealth advisory course, and it's it's a very demanding course. So, um, you know, a lot of people don't know the the amount of work that goes into doing a podcast, but on both of our sides. Um, and so, with that, and and I've got a couple conferences lined up that I have to go to that I didn't have last year. So, and the travel, and and with the travel ball. So we're gonna take it off. So we always make a a good good produced show for for our listeners and we will uh be back with you but if you ever want to listen to an old podcast right feel free to go onto the website and and you got all uh what 50 or so episodes yeah something like that 50 or did we get up into the 70s yet somewhere around there maybe so plenty so many that we've lost count how about that Yes. <laughs> Lots of episodes available to you. So, John, good luck hitting the books over the next couple of months. We'll reconnect a few months from now and kick things back off and uh, with a new and renewed Retire Happy podcast at that time. Until then, thanks, everybody, for joining us on the show. We'll talk to you again soon, right back here on the Retire Happy podcast. Investment advisory services offered through Brookstone Capital Management, LLC, BCM, a registered investment advisor. BCM and Securus Financial are independent of each other. Insurance products and services are not offered through BCM, but are offered and sold through individually licensed and appointed agents. The opinions expressed by John Amarino and guests on this radio show are their own and are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Past performance cannot be used as an indicator to determine future results. Any strategies mentioned may not be suitable for everyone. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for you. Before acting on any information mentioned, please consult with a qualified tax or investment advisor to determine if it is suitable for your specific situation. This program is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with regard to subject covered.